0: Welcome to episode 113 of All About Fitness. Before I get into the introduction for this episode's guest, I'm really excited to announce a new sponsor. <laughs> In fact, this sponsor is so new, I haven't had time to cut any uh, any, any little commercials for them. Hyperwear is the maker of sandbells, steel bells, soft bells, and a killer, killer weight vest. I've been a fan of these products for years, and I've had a good relationship with uh, Dirk and Jeff uh, of the company. And I've seen them at trade shows over the years. I'm a big fan. I use their products in group fitness classes I teach. And so when we sat down to talk about how we could work together, I was really uh, stoked that they were interested in in being a sponsor. Dirk's been listening to All About Fitness, and they see what I'm doing. And like I said, we've worked with them. And just so you know, I want to say this. I've been working in fitness a long time. and, And the thing I value the most in this business are my relationships and my reputation. I would never jeopardize either one of them to to promote a product I did not believe in 100% or even 1,000%. You know, I might say a product is good, but I'm not going to stand behind a product or I'm not going to stand behind an individual if I don't believe 100% in what that product can do or how that product can help you, whether that individual is going to do good work or is a trusted resource. So the guests I have on the show are people who I know are doing great stuff, Or maybe I want to learn more about them, you know, learn more about what they're doing. Likewise, any product I'd be affiliated with, any product all about fitness would be affiliated with is going to be one that I feel comfortable using for myself, for the fitness classes I teach, or the people that that I work with directly in my life. So I don't want you to think that as I bring on sponsors and I'm working on getting a couple more sponsors, I am not looking at, at simply selling out and selling commercial space or ad space on this medium or this platform I don't want to waste your time with that, but what I want you to understand is that anything I'd have, anything, anybody I'd have as a sponsor on the show is going to be a product line or a product or something I firmly believe in, and I've been using Sandbells now for years. I first came across them when I did a review for them, where I worked at the American Council on Exercise. I'm a big fan of them. Hyperware is a parent company. Sandbells, Bells, The Vest, Softbells are all their products. All the information is going to be in the show notes. If you're interested in purchasing uh, one or making a per- purchase for yourself, I will have a discount code, and I'll have that for you in the outro of this show. Now on to, to this episode. This is a really fun episode. In, in fact, this episode was such a killer conversation. I normally do a schedule. When I interview somebody, it's usually going to be about two to four weeks before. You know, That's my lead time. It's about a two to four-week lead time from the interview to be getting it posted online. Well, when I sat down with Ryan or I caught up with Ryan – it really was such an awesome conversation. I kind of threw my, my original schedule out the window. I threw my original schedule out the window and just wanted to get it cut right away. So Ryan and I just recently had this conversation, and I really I wanted to bring it to you because I think this is such important this is such important information. I've known Ryan Glatt, this episode's guest, yeah, about maybe three or four years we met a few years ago. I was involved with a group called Institute of Motion. I recently interviewed uh, the founder of that group, Michelle Dalcourt, who created a product called The Viper, now known as The Viper Pro. But Ryan and I met, and Ryan was a very—you would come across these people in, in your line of work, and immediately he struck me as somebody who very cerebral— very just very inquisitive i wanted to know more (laughs) he was like i want to know more about this want to know more about that and he's always been every time we communicate anytime we touch base email talking bumping into each other he always is working on killer things and always has a few few things going on i wanted to catch up with him because he is just working on the last little bit he's working on cognitive function he's working on how exercise can enhance brain health he has been doing some fabulous work in this area. He's been working with people that are way above my pay grade. And so I try to keep up in the conversation. So after a word from uh, the current sponsor of All About Fitness, TerraCore, it really, we're going to sit down and we're going to learn a lot about how exercise can improve your brain health and your cognitive function with Ryan Glatt. What is part bench, part balance trainer, part stability ball, part jump box, and all results. The Terracor by Vicor Fitness. Specially designed to help enhance balance, strength, agility, and metabolic conditioning, the TerraCore is quickly becoming the go-to piece of workout equipment used by fitness professionals around the world. Whether you're training to earn that eight-figure contract or just trying to get in better shape, the TerraCore will help you achieve results you never thought possible. Terracore by Vicor Fitness, the shape of things to come. Go to www.vicorefitness.com and use code AAF, that's all about fitness, AAF, to save 20% on the purchase of a Terracore. I'm Pete McCall, all about fitness. I'm speaking today with Ryan Glatt. We first met Ryan a few episodes ago when I was doing my wrap-up at URSA, the Health Club Industry Trade Show, and this dude is doing such cool work, I wanted to circle back with him and have a more in-depth conversation. So, Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and and the area you're focused on? Sure, Pete. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, my, My area of focus is primarily health neuroscience through a fitness context, and so I started in the industry as a personal trainer and then became a body worker and then became a health coach, and I was doing a lot of good work with people in pain, helping people with behaviors that didn't serve them physically and mentally, but really what I thought probably about eight years into my career was that there was not really a focus on brain health. While you know a healthy lifestyle and good exercise uh, can certainly help with the brain as we know now, um, I didn't really see people having the goal of brain health, whether it be a psychological goal or a cognitive goal. And so I kind of wanted to use the tools we have as health and fitness professionals to study. that. Three years now, and been trying to integrate that into my practice. And uh, essentially what I do now is I coach people on their brain health, and then I'm involved with various projects focused on getting people to integrate brain training with fitness.
0: So nobody ever, and I'll probably say this in the intro, so I'll be repeating myself, but nobody ever really walks into the gym like, you know, say, I'm going to get my brain swole today. I'm going to get my brain training on. Can you walk through a little bit about kind of some of the benefits that exercise has on cognitive function?
1: Absolutely. So I just want to emphasize that even though I'll talk about specific ways to Uh, get brain benefits from exercise and different things that you can do within your exercise, I just want to say that any modality of physical activity and exercise is going to be beneficial for the brain as long as it's not too stressful on the body or the brain. So basically overtraining would be the only thing that would really be uh, a detriment to the brain because of too much cortisol or stress. But ultimately, whenever you work out, there's going to be a myriad of benefits on the brain and body. So if we look specifically at the brain, there's several things that happen. One of them is there's a positive release of neurotransmitters. That includes serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine, and they all have their own specific beneficial functions, and they're released in a way that is almost been compared to uh, taking drugs uh, in a beneficial fashion uh, or even morphine in terms of the doling sensation of pain just from moving. In addition, there's an increase of blood flow, uh, and there's also the creation of what's called angiogenesis, literally the creation of new blood vessels in the brain from working out. And then we have this, this hot-button hot term called neuroplasticity, and there is neuroplastic change associated with exercise through a mechanism primarily called neurogenesis, the creation of new neurons. And so that's, that's ultimately a high-level view of what's happening when you work out. And there's so many interesting modalities coming out Uh, that are involved in the biohacking realm, whether it's neurofeedback or transcranial direct stimulation, and everyone's really into this idea of hacking the brain, but if I put all those benefits on paper, I said, hey, this is a pill you could take, and that pill really is exercise, people would be really surprised, and so we really take exercise and fitness in terms of brain health for granted, but the benefits are very wide and large.
0: Well, and I think listeners can really, I think listeners can relate to that, Ryan, because I'm sure we all have those, those relatives, those older relatives, you know, whether they're parents or grandparents or whatever, that you, you know the ones that in your life are very active, and they're sharp, they're engaged, they're, 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 just, they're a lot of fun to be around, and then compared to maybe somebody about the same relative age who isn't that active, and they're a little bit more depressed, a little bit more, for lack of a better word, crotchety, you know? And it's funny, you talk about dopamine, serotonin, isn't that kind of the component of the runner's high? So it's basically an exercise, you know, people talk about exercise addiction. I had, I had a woman on recently who wrote a book on exercise addiction. But can exercise really kind of create the same effects that some drugs do? Definitely. If it's
1: in the right concentration and frequency, um, I think people approach these, this type of information with silver bullet perspective. So it definitely isn't a silver bullet, but, you know, if you give someone a, you know, two to four week cycle of exercise where they're completely sedentary and they are depressed, there's a high likelihood they will improve their symptoms as Dr. John Rady proved in his book, Spark. And so Dr. John Rady was a psychiatrist that is a psychiatrist that would use exercise as his primary modality for mental health. And then that transferred into academic achievement, work performance and productivity. And so just from a mental health perspective, there's plenty that can be done. In fact, there's studies coming out now that uh, find, you know, populations of individuals with schizophrenia and use dance as an intervention to improve their symptoms. And so there's all sorts of targeted types of exercise modalities for different conditions. But overall, the, the emphasis is on physical activity and exercise being good for the brain and mind.
0: And that's, It's funny you say that because this is a conversation I've had. You know, my father's recently retired. But for years he was a therapist, um, and he was an addiction specialist. And one of his, and one of his components when he would take on a new client was, you know, he he wanted them to get into a twelve step program, and he wanted them to start exercising. And he was very adamant that if you don't take these two steps, I can't work with you, you know, because twelve step, you know, you're getting into a whole network of people, or whatever. But exercise, my father kind of realized that exercise played a key component. He wasn't, you know. This is a few years back, it was before we understood all the things, but he knew there's a, a relation, that, relation there. So which do you think is more important? And this is just your educated guess, Ryan. I don't expect you to know, what, and this is for all of us. I always say this. There are no definitive answers on exercise. There's just what we observe through research and our educated guesses. So right. you, using your, your background and your knowledge, which do you think is more important? Is it, would it be oxygen flow to the brain? Or to be the production of neurotransmitters? Because I think they're both important, but which do you think ha- has a, an impact on brain health?
1: Yeah, if I could pick between the two, and, of course, you know, we're an integrated biological system. It's very hard to be reductionist and separate them out. But if I was to pick one of the two, I'd say oxygen, simply because without oxygen, uh, we really don't have much at all. And so, in fact, without oxygen, especially in cases uh, post-concussion, we have what's called apoptosis or the death of neuronal cells. And so without oxygen, there is no life. And so oxygen would definitely be the main critical factor, whereas, you know, neurotransmitters are probably within every animal. But if you look at our evolutionary history, neurotransmitter activity hasn't been as measured as brain size, uh, as dictated by blood flow and oxygen since they go hand in hand. So I definitely suggest that part of it. Um, And it's interesting because there's different types of brain imaging that look at blood flow and oxygenation, such as sex scans. Uh, or you know, diffuser tension imaging that looks at the way uh, water traveled around around an axon. And so, if you look at these different types of imaging, you'll actually see there's areas of the brain that are well oxygenated and areas of the brain that are not. Um, and when I mean oxygen, I mean blood blood flow perfusion. And since they go hand in hand, it's really important to see where there's blood flow in the brain and where there's not blood flow in the brain. And when you can see that, you also see that there's specific areas that aren't getting that. And if we take the research on what we understand about different modalities of exercise, whether it's resistance training, aerobic training, tai chi or martial arts, sports skill training, mindful movement, and you can find that each of these areas have an emphasis on different parts of the brain, we can be very targeted about what we're doing and why.
0: You know, and that's, it's funny here because all the stuff, I like the way you said oh, we're an integrated system, and that's that's very – that's always been a common theme through these podcasts is you can't isolate out one muscle. I mean, and you know that, I mean, we can't isolate one muscle through exercise. So it's interesting that, that, you know, we can't really isolate out one system of the body through exercise. Some systems will do more work than others, but you know, everything plays a role. Do you, is there a type of exercise that's better for brain health or which types of exercise exercise should people be doing or what, what should people be doing? if they want to, you know, improve cognitive function, especially as they, you know, when no, nobody's getting younger, especially as we get a little bit older.
1: Right. So when it comes to cognitive decline, uh, there's this term called cognitive reserve. It's almost like that curve of physical decline where you start with a high physical capacity and over the lifespan life there's this downward curve, and that curve can be slowed uh, or kind of altered through physical exercise. And there's a very much the same uh, mechanism that occurs with cognition. You start on this curve, and as you decline, so does your cognitive reserve, and exercise can improve cognitive reserve. It can slow cognitive decline. And so ultimately, we're looking at, once again, my disclaimer is, any sort of physical activity or exercise that can help improve or improve cognitive reserve or slow cognitive decline. And so. Most of the research, uh, both in animal models and in human models, has been done on aerobic capacities. Um, there's, there's more research coming out on resistance training, sports skills, dance training, mindful movement. There's plenty of those as well, but a bulk of the research has been on aerobic exercise. So the whole idea is we talked about blood flow and oxygen, really important to the brain. Uh, there's some sort of aerobic component that's really critical to getting these
0: benefits. That's interesting you say that because, you know, from what I've read on this, and I haven't delved into it nearly as deeply as you have, one of the things that I've read on this is that we want to have some sort of – we want to have different stimulus or a variety of stimulus. That's
1: exactly
0: right. We both have studied, you know, both have studied looking at variability. And when I hear aerobic, I always think of repetitive repetitive cyclic actions. You know, what's the benefit of variability? What, What is? Well, first of all, if you could, Ryan, Kind of explain what variability is and then, then describe a few of the benefits. Yeah, so if we're
1: doing one type of aerobic training, let's say running on the treadmill for 30 minutes at 60% of our maximum heart rate, and I did that all the time, that would be a repetitive stimulus that ultimately has benefits, but eventually I would adapt to. And so all bodily systems, including my brain, might start responding and expecting that same stimulus. Now, would we say if you stop doing that stimulus, uh, would Would you be better off? No. You'd still want the physical activity and just the physiological events that include blood flow and oxygenation to the brain, regardless of how repetitive or variable it is. But let's say we have the affordance of having variability within our workouts, and variability being defined as a way to have a bunch of different multiple inputs, either through modalities or tweaking existing modalities within our workout or health routines. So instead of going on that treadmill for 30 minutes at 60% max heart rate, I might go really slow, or I might go really fast in an interval style. So people would recognize high-intensity interval training. But what about low-intensity interval training? And if we were doing steady-state training, where I'm going at the same pace for an hour while I'm on a run outside, and it's really high intensity, what about doing it at a low intensity? And so I got uh, a shout-out to Institute of Motion. I know you had Michelle Dalcourt on the podcast recently, but they have a great way of figuring out structured variability, especially for metabolic health. And so there's high intensity and low intensity, and then there's steady state and interval training, and we want to get at least one of those in our weekly exercise routine. And so there's various examples of that, um, but ultimately if you have the high intensity end of steady state training and interval training, you also want to have the low intensity end, those long walks, those uh, household or gardening activities, while you're getting some sort of lower intensity Uh, Inputs. there's still a lot of blood flow occurring, oxygenation occurring, and the brain loves variability. And what I mean by variability is there's also these novel inputs. It's a new input. And so you might hear that variety is the spice of life or, you know, novelty creates happiness because it's a new thing that you're always adapting to. And ultimately in the research, the number one predictor of brain health is continued learning throughout the lifespan. But when I say learning, people think learning a language or being in college classes, all of that's helpful. But when we say learning in an exercise context, we're really talking about motor learning and the process of engaging in new exercise modalities on a regular basis or taking an existing modality that we practice and tweaking it either through the intensity or through the movement patterns or the tempo or the amount of time that we're doing it or even the environment that we're doing it in in order to create a novel response. And so what's the brain going to do when it reaches novelty? It's going to start creating new synaptic connections. It's going to be stressed in a positive way. It's a use stress on the nervous system. And it's going to start having all these positive neurochemical cascades and areas of the brain that haven't been as activated before are going to receive this much-needed and valuable oxygen and nutrients through the blood. And so ultimately what we're looking for is to integrate novel stimulus. Into our exercise routine, and that's the purpose that variability serves in terms of brain health.
0: Dude, you, you just did you did a phenomenal job, Ryan, of breaking that down. And for listeners, you know that's worth like pausing and playing back because you <laughs> really. But I'm curious, and this is the way I've described it. I mean, for years I've described variability as you know how often have you driven home from work and you're pulling into your driveway and you don't really remember the, the you know you don't really remember the trip home.
1: You know, That's right, yeah. It, there's
0: it, this, it. Go ahead. There's this automaticity to it. And so uh,
1: just a quick little neuroanatomy lesson. Basically, there's this part of our brain called the neocortex. It's the new cortex. It's basically what separates us from other primates. And it's responsible for thinking, planning, organization, working memory, all the things that allow you to interact with the world as a human and get through your day-to-day through society. And so that prefrontal cortex, is involved it's activated when we're learning new and novel tasks and probably active when we're in variable task engagement and so also it's active when we gear our attention towards something and we can talk about that later when we have a focused attention on something uh that part of the brain is active but when there's this automaticity these things that you're doing as a habit and there's nothing wrong with habits in fact they can be really beneficial and i encourage people to have habits but since the brain is always looking for these pathways of efficiency. It's always looking to conserve energy. But we're not living on the African savanna anymore. We don't need to conserve as much energy as we used to. In fact, <laughs> we usually need to expend it and stress our systems in a healthy manner. And so ultimately we want to create novel situations so that we're not entering this automaticity. And there's parts of the brain, like the basal ganglia, responsible for habit creation that take over activity a little bit more when that automaticity is there. And so we almost stop using our prefrontal cortex as much and tasks that are associated with automaticity or something expected and so the way to get that prefrontal cortex active would be to give you novel tasks create some sort of unexpected environment and allow this organization of self-exploration and behavior or as michelle would call it self organization where we're actually kind of if, if i put you in a forest and you start exploring that forest that's a lot of novelty in your self-organizing and exploring that environment and in the research, that's called an enriched environment, which has been shown to be the number, one of the number one indicators of neuroplasticity and brain health. And so if we look at it from that biological perspective, it's really important to incorporate novelty. And while you want to have some aspect of automaticity in your life, because too much novelty would just be chaotic, you want some sort of structured variability in order to have the, the most brain health.
0: You know, that's interesting, Ryan. I don't, how much have you listened to many episodes of my podcast? If you haven't, I'm completely fine with that. I yeah, have, have you yeah. All right, so you're, you're saying this. In the most recent episode I posted, episode 111, is with a guy named Dan Staton who's a bow hunter who right. talks about, you know, he has a blog and a podcast called Elk Shape, which is literally fitness for bow hunting elk. Yeah. And you're, you're saying this because when you look at archery, and I'm just thinking about this because you're using the example of the African savannah. And this was an interesting thing talking, talking to Dan. I didn't grow up in a hunting family. You know, I don't have really an opinion of hunters. My opinion of hunters are people who maybe ride around on four-wheelers and shoot things. Yeah. So to hear somebody walk through not only the mental gymnastics but the physical gymnastics of something like bow hunting was really kind of, you know, educational for me. Cause yeah. like, okay, I, I get that because you're, if you're hiking through the woods, you're in a very novel, you know, stimulus-rich environment. And if you're if you're doing bow hunting, there's a lot more mental focus because you kind of he describes going into a you know kind of a meditative state in order to relax his body to control the bow. So it's yeah. funny, it's very funny to hear to have this conversation, you know, the juxtaposition of it because mm-hmm. you're supporting. I mean, what you're saying is, is you know direct you know directly in support of that. You know, is that? Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of, it's kind of funny. I'm just kind of mentioning. Yeah. Let, let's life. unpack
1: that a little bit. Cause actually right after that episode, I started to research this very same curiosity. I was like, okay, well, how did people grow their brains through exercise in the past? And it was through hunting because there's all these strategic mental components to it. And there's a lot of motor skill as well as physical performance, cardiorespiratory capacity. All these things are really important in hunting as it was on the Savannah years and years and years ago. So not that many not decades, much more than that, but you get what I'm saying. I'm not an anthropologist, so I <laughs> don't have my years right. But ultimately, uh, there, there's research that has come out looking at athletes that are more strategic and skill- based in nature. So whether it's an athletic sport that requires a lot of motor skill and motor learning and you know response to unpredictability, which is many sports, or if it requires some sort of strategic and skill-based implications such as chess, those things improve executive functions really well. And just to define executive functions, I describe the responsibility of the prefrontal cortex of planning, attention, organization, memory. Those are executive functions. And so ultimately the way we trained and conditioned our executive functions as a human species must have included hunting and running long distances and being in novel environments and being barefoot and being outside and being in an enriched environment and also being with other people. Without social contact, our brains do not thrive. And so, if we look at the, uh, the the components of all of those things in that environment, I think there's validity to that. But the the problem is that we can't expect everyone, no matter how convinced they are of the information and the benefits, to go hunting. But now we have tons of people going to the gym. So how can we take the components that you might find in hunting or being outside and running across the savanna? and incorporate that novelty and unpredictability and skill training into the gym.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that. I'm just sitting here thinking. I want listeners to know I'm, I'm definitely not evolving into a pro hunting blog, but this is a new area for me, and just to consider it in this context. You're absolutely right. Now, let's, you, you mentioned athletes. Let's, let's, let's stay on that topic for a second, Ryan. Sure. What role? Because we always – well, two things. We always have the, – the, there's this existing stereotype of weightlifters and athletes as being dumb jocks. Yeah, right. anybody, you know, I, I'm a less and less of an NFL fan now, but anybody who, who's paid attention to the NFL knows that some of the smartest guys on the field are actually the guys that play offensive and defensive line because they have so many different things they have to learn as a part of their, as a part of their uh, their position and, and what they do in the sport. But right. What is, what role does playing a sport play? Ken, because you talk about the cyclic action of running or cycling, and yeah, you're being healthy, but there's no reactive. There's no reactability. There's no. You're reacting to very little if you're out on a running course or you're in, in on a on a road. You're right. reacting a little bit more on a road if you're on a bike. But what role does, does that kind of does playing a sport like basketball or soccer or rugby? What role do sports play in cognitive engagement and cognitive function? Yeah, it's huge.
1: So, uh, like I was saying about that research that's come out recently, looking at the executive function of athletes that typically engage strategy and skill every time they're playing their sport, that improves executive function. And so typically, um, you know, the focus in athletics has been on the physical. How much power can you produce? What's your maximum bench? Can you complete this speed, agility, and quickness drill as fast as possible? What's your time on that? But there's really not many people that look at executive function. Now we have sports psychologists, uh, but I'm not talking so much about the psychology. I'm talking about the hardware and the software of the brain that allows for all of those executive functions. And so when we think about that, there's a lot of that involved in sports, and different sports require different things. Uh, they require different visual skills. They require different mental skills. And based on the sports that you're going to have, there's going to be an emphasis on various aspects of that. And so really what, what sports do is there's a motor learning component. Usually you have to learn how to react to or manage some sort of ball or tool and so that novel uh, manipulation of a tool and the skillful manipulation of a tool is extremely beneficial. Now, most professional athletes have overlearned. And when I say overlearned, they have this automaticity to using a baseball bat, to throwing a football. Whereas if you gave one of those to me, I would have to learn. And so what's interesting is there's this whole neural rewiring process and positive release of neurochemicals Occurring while I'm learning that skill, so that phase of motor learning involves a lot of change in the brain, usually positive change. So you hear about, well, if you want to learn a skill and grow your brain, learn something new, go go try juggling and learn juggling. Well, a more pr- a more practical application is go learn a sports skill. And I'm not an athletic type. I played tennis in college, in high school, but I wasn't very good. Uh, but it's really only one of the sk- sports skills that I learned, and so. Uh, now, I'm trying to invest in learning sports skills not to be good at the sport, which is usually the goal, but for the brain benefit of learning a novel skill that involves motor, manip- like motor skill training as well as object manipulation. And so, there's that component of uh, athletics but there's also the strategic component where you're reacting to other people, other objects and tools and balls. There's unpredictable stimuli. There's a strategy that you have to remember to execute. You have to have all these visual inputs and manage all of them. There's all these executive tasks occurring. Now, like I said, when the overlearning occurs, I don't necessarily think that there's a continued brain benefit because you've just gotten really, really efficient at using that neural pathway. Um, In addition, in athletics, sometimes you're using those executive functions to a detriment meaning mental fatigue and so if i had my choice i would learn the sports skill not to be good at the sport and i would engage in sports for brain health but not to be good at the sport if that makes sense because being good at the sport eventually leads to some aspects of injury or mental or physical fatigue or overtraining and that usually subtracts the benefits that ultimately it would have now You'll, you'll look at professional athletes get concussion, or you'll look at them be so fatigued or burnt out, or after they stop playing sports, most of this is their identity. This is what they know, and they become depressed. And so a lot of that's all too common. So I don't want to say professional athletics not, but there's so many things that we can learn from athletics and integrate into our brain health routine.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I'm, I want to come back to concussions in a second because um, in the last few years, I want to give, you know, a big virtual hugout, and I'm not an Alabama fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to give a big virtual hugout to Nick Saban, the head coach of Alabama, because he talked maybe three four years ago, Ryan, about the, Alabama's recruiting athletes. They're not recruiting in one-sport football players, but they're looking and they're trying to get out and recruit athletes and who is it? Chris Hogan, who is a receiver for New England, actually played lacrosse in college. And oh, wow. football was kind of something else that he did. And that's one thing, you know, I've had that conversation with, with Coach Mike Boyle and with one or two other people that, that are specialists in youth conditioning. And their message to parents is do not specialize. Your kids should not specialize until they're maybe 15 or 16 years old. Meaning that's variability right there. Yeah, meaning when they're younger, have them play as many sports as possible. And that's what we're, you know, my daughters are relatively young, and I'm we're, we're trying to introduce them to as many different things as possible right now, just so I don't want them to develop the re- repetition, the automation, which can have, you know, so many, you know, so many negative things. Right. Do you, think that, do you think that's healthier? Do you think that would help kids, like, perform better if kids played different sports as opposed to just playing only soccer or only baseball?
1: 100%. I think that's, uh, really well-known, and I love that it's getting more popular into the mainstream, is having a variety of different sports skills. And if we look at the principles of healthy long-term athletic development, or LTAD, it's crucial to have those, that variability. And a, a really, really smart guy, probably one of the smartest guys in this space, is Milo Bryant, who created the Tyler's Performance Institute's junior program, and now he's creating something called CLAY. Um, where he's basically teaching health, fitness, and sports sports professionals and parents how to go from 0 to 20 in all the phases of long-term athletic development that are necessary to train. And so I'm really looking forward to learning from him more as he gets his stuff out there because ultimately there's reflexes, there's games, there's cognitive skills, psychological skills, physical skills that need to be developed. And not only do they need to be developed, but at the right times and in the right variable fashion. And so we need to get that stuff right. Um, I believe there's a Canadian organization called Sport for, Sport for Life. Um, I think their website sportforlife.ca. That has a lot of great information for parents on long-term athletic development and a lot of these stages of development, both cognitive and physical, that I'm mentioning. But ultimately, it's variability as kids are growing up. Now, there's components of that that are... Easy to implement as a principle, and there's components of that need to be specific, given where your kid at your your kid is at at the point of their life. And so this is a really interesting topic, but ultimately we'll go back to variability. Yeah,
0: you know, and that's and, and that's funny. So with variability, to kind of step forward and, and put it back into into our context, variability means kind of doing different things. You know, I've talked with different people about periodization. You know, putting different stimulus on the body. Could variability mean be as simple as Maybe instead of doing weights for two or three months, you do TRX. Or maybe, you know, you you start learning how to use a medicine ball or you start learning how to use other equipment. Would just changing the equipment you use in the gym add a, a, a component of variability that would provide benefits, Ryan?
1: That's exactly right. And ultimately, when you pick up a new object, let's say you go from dumbbells to medicine ball to viper, There's definitely going to be some motor learning where there's this almost frustration phase, this learning phase, they're moving a bit slow, you're a little awkward with the tool. That learning process, the point up to which you can almost automatically use that tool well, that motor learning process is the benefit. Don't fret at that frustrating cycle of learning because that's where you're getting all these positive neurochemicals, you're getting improved hardware in the brain, better functioning in the brain, This is stuff that's going to help you. So using tools, basically engaging in variable object manipulation is a fantastic way to stimulate brain
0: health. Yeah, and that's funny that you say that because there are certain times where, you know, when I go work out, you know, I might be a little run down, might be coming back from a trip or just might might be running around. My goal for the day is movement, is like low intensity movement. And, and, you know, we both have the same sort of education approach where I'm not trying to crush myself. And you mentioned earlier, like the benefits of low intensity steady state. What would be nice. the benefit What would be a couple of the benefits, Ryan? Just brain health from just like a low intensity. If somebody just wanted to do like a medicine ball or a Viper workout, and for listeners, I'll have a, a link below to what we're talking about. If you're not familiar with the Viper, it's a relatively new, um, relatively new product that's been been out in the market and has only been utilized by uh, very uh, very small component of our industry. But what, what is some of the cognitive benefits, Ryan, of some of that low-intensity movement? And, and I'm thinking of, like, maybe a Tai Chi or a Qigong. You know, if somebody goes through Tai Chi or Qigong would be examples of that that people might be more familiar that. with. One is,
1: one is mindful movement, and mindful movement would include yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, Pilates. Those are your lower-intensity, uh, more mindful practices, and those are really important because we're getting the benefits – uh, also associated with mindfulness and meditation. And so a lot of that has to do with different parts of the brain responsible for regulating emotion, regulating body temperature, uh, regulating uh, your ability to be more productive and focus on tasks longer. Um, so it really allows an individual to be more mentally. And, and so those movements are really good for that. And also, people that do those movements, more mindful movements, have been measured to have better blood pressure, which Cardiovascular health directly relates to brain health and in addition just a better quality of life. And so also there's a lot of motor learning to these martial arts style mindful movement practices. And those are really important to integrate. And sometimes I'll integrate that into my workout, not as a whole single workout, uh, which I I will do that. I'll go for an hour of Tai Chi or Qigong class, but really I'll integrate maybe ten minutes at the end of my workout as a cooldown to get those now, when we go to the other component to your question, which is this lower intensity, steady state exercise, that's not just my, but lower intensity, looking at the benefits of regulating your autonomic nervous system.
0: You're, you're breaking exercise. up on me there, uh, Ryan. Can you go back and, and take over, from, start over from uh, autonomic nervous system?
1: Looking at steady state training that's at a low intensity, we're really looking at. Having components of autonomic nervous system regulation, and when we have autonomic nervous system regulation, what we're looking at is giving the nervous system a break from really stressful, high-intensity inputs, and letting it adapt with lower-intensity inputs while still staying active and getting oxygen and blood flow to the brain. And that's
0: and that and people don't realize because I think you know, especially in the last few years, um, Ryan, we've had this like mindset of just all high intensity everything and yes high intensity can provide some benefits but as you're demonstrating low intensity exercise and just movement can provide some benefits now i also want to you know ask this question because i used to work for a chain of health clubs in washington dc and i would rotate between three or four health clubs during the day depending on the day of the week and what whether i was training clients or teaching classes and sometimes i liked working out in different clubs at different times for various reasons would just changing, if somebody was a member of a national chain and they had access to two or three different gyms relatively close to them, would just changing environments like that, would that be a good way to, to add some variability?
1: Yeah, environmental change is huge. It could be the difference between going between different gyms or just going outside if you can, um, or even working out at home, working out in your backyard, uh, getting outdoors more. I mean, all those things are really beneficial. Um, while I definitely don't live out this as an example, I definitely think that being outdoors is probably one of the more beneficial things due to the exposure of nature. There's tons of brain benefits uh, in being exposed to nature. It's what we call a cognitive promoter or a brain health promoter. Um, so being outside is definitely beneficial. If you're always outside, is that the best? No, because then that can be become repetitive. So you wanna have a variability of environment, which is typically difficult for people because we generally set up our exercise routines out of habit. And this habit is primarily dependent on location, Accessibility, ease of access. These things are really kind of the the big uh, how do I say uh, components of behavior change is having something environmentally there, and so. Uh, behavior change and environment go hand in hand. So as long as it doesn't interrupt and you, your, your routines that are beneficial and you have some sort of control over staying consistent with your exercise routine while being able to manipulate the environment, that's definitely highly beneficial. And I just want to say the environment could be working out by yourself and instead working out with another person. That's also a change in
0: environment. You know, I think you hit the nail. You, you, You mentioned so many things there, Ryan, that I think could be beneficial uh, let's step aside for a second here. Do you, how's your time? How are you doing on time and, and location? I'm good. i got about 20 minutes. Okay, cool. All right. I was going to say, if you're, if you're in the car for a while longer, I was, I was going to let, say, let's start a part two. But we'll, yeah. we'll just wrap up the conversation. Dudes, sure. A, this is fascinating. But B, this is phenomenal content. And usually yeah. I have like a two to four week lead time. I think I'm going to cut this up and post this this week, Ryan. Um, get Great. Get out there quickly. Oh. All right. So I'm going to get okay. back to it. You know, it's funny you say that about being outdoors because, you know, and I'm just using this, for example for listeners. I, I I've been doing more mountain biking. I've been trying to mountain bike it one, sometimes two days a week when I'm not Fantastic, trying. yeah. And and what I, what I but what I do, you know, for people that might mountain bike, it's important. You know, I like novelty, but it's important to kind of know your trail system because if you know your trail system, you just flow a little bit better. You and one of the reasons why I do it, and I'll do it in the morning after dropping my kids off. And To try to get into the flow state, if I'm going to be doing some, I especially do it on days I want to get some riding done. You know, so I, and I, you know, I, I interviewed Jamie Whelan um, from uh, the Flow Genome Project. Yeah, I project. love that interview. By the way, that was great. Oh, thanks, man. I, um, but but I do, but now after reading, you know, Catching Fire or Stealing Fire and, and Rise of Superman, you know, if I if there's something I'm gonna work on for the day, I start the day off with with a little bit of a hike or a little bit of a mountain bike ride, and dude, it works. But one yeah. of the things that, that I do is I try to link together. So I'm not always doing the exact same route. You know, is it just making – so if somebody likes running or somebody likes walking in their neighborhood, isn't it beneficial just to change it? You know, with just changing like a little thing, like going a different pattern or instead of going from point A to point B, you go from point B to backwards to point A? Are little changes Absolutely. like that yeah. helpful?
1: Yeah, 100%. And just to talk about flow, there's – I don't know how in-depth you went into it with Jamie from what I recall – but ultimately there's there's different phases of flow. There's this learning phase, there's a frustration phase, there's a release phase, and then there's a flow phase. And that's all part of the flow formula, if you will. And at every phase, there's different positive neurotransmitters released. And so going through those different stages of flow, whether you're learning something new or you're frustrated because you're trying to master it, or there's a component of actually being in the flow state, All of those offer a lot of neurocognitive benefits as well as neurotransmitters that are released into the system that are healthy for you. And so when we're looking to get into flow, if you imagine that there's this vertical access called challenge and this horizontal access called skill, ultimately you want a balance between the two, so a balance of challenge and skill, especially when it comes to movement, and that's when people are in the flow zone, in a flow state, if you will. And so when people do something that's too novel or too difficult – It becomes frustrating because the challenge is too high and the skill level is too low. So you'll experience those emotions of frustration, of hopelessness, of defeat. If the skill level is too high, it's like if you've done push-ups all your life and your personal trainer says, I'm going to give you the hardest thing ever, Pete, do one push-up. And you look at him and you're like, are you serious? There's boredom. There's disinterest. There's uh, almost this automaticity to it. And that skill level is too high and the challenge is too low. But if I find just the right amount of challenge relevant to your skill level, and by the way, your skill level can always improve the more you practice, therefore, so can the challenge, and you're in that state of flow. And so, Pete, using your example, if you like to go mountain biking, in which there's a lot of cognitive stimulation involved, I mean, it's a great, great activity to do for brain health. Don't get me wrong. As long as you're being preventative of any uh, head trauma, by all means, go for it. And so... When it comes to that example that you're using, if I gave you a really advanced course your first week, you'd probably have that phase of frustration and feeling defeated. Am I right?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: And so that wouldn't, you'd probably say, well, screw mountain biking. I'm done if that was your only option. Now, if I gave you a kitty trail, it's like the trail that I would probably use when I'm learning and you're like, screw this, I'm bored. I'm not going to do this anymore. You'd also probably leave mountain biking, or you wouldn't do as much, or you'd be disinterested. But you have self-organized to where you're tweaking the just the right amount of challenge, and right amount of novelty to keep you interested and in that flow state. And so that's a great example. That can be applied to anything. When you're in this automaticity, whether it's this walking from A to B and you're just used to it, once again, that's beneficial if that's a habit for you. But if you can afford to do so within your comfort levels and within your ability to think about changing it up, please do.
0: Well, and it's funny you say that because yeah, one of the first times I did this trail system near my house, I hit like there, I did like this really gnarly one, and I've honestly I've only ridden it one time since then. But I've been linking other trails, to, I've been linking the other ones together, building up my skills to go back down because there are a couple really like three to five foot drops that that you have ways around, but. I want to be able to take the drops. But to get out of that, you know, for listeners, I use mountain biking as an example, but anything, could obstacle course, you know, Ryan, obstacle course racing like Spartan and Tough Mudder have been a big trend lately. Is there a cognitive, you know, brain health component to doing those type of obstacle course races?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say there's that unpredictability factor. There's that play factor. There's the self-organizing factor where you get to kind of pick your own route and how you go about those things. There's also this self-regulation ability where no one's telling you to beat a certain time unless you're competitive. And so there's definitely a lot of cognitive skill associated with that. Um, But there is this inverse relationship between cognitive load and physical load. And so a really high physical task, ultimately you're going to have slightly less cognitive load. And when I say cognitive load, like a really high cognitive load is like taking a test. And so you're not going to take a test while you're doing an OCR, right? Uh, you're probably going to take a test while you're seated and there's no movement. And ultimately, you want to balance between these two. You want to balance between cognitive load and physical load. And obstacle course racing is kind of that thing where you don't have to have too high of an intensity, but you can have that physical involvement while having that cognitive involvement. But I've worked with the people that do the Ninja Warrior courses and stuff like that, and it doesn't mean that they're well-rounded in terms of executive function. They might have attention issues or working memory issues. And so they'll need to train those things in order to be better at their sport. But there's certainly this strategic and reactive component to those types of things that are really beneficial, as well as the novelty and environmental enrichment.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because um, I spoke with somebody recently who works with Spartan, and I forget which one of the Spartan events um, she referenced, but there is one there is one where they will give you something to memorize. And if you yeah. don't have it memorized, you kind of have to go back to the checkpoint. And a friend of mine, a training buddy, is in one of the military uh, special operations units, and he said that was a big component of their training. A big component was when they, especially when they're going to fatigue, was they would be given a map or be given something they had to recall, you know, after a 20- or 30-mile hike. And they would be able to recall or, re, you know, rebuild the map or redraw the map after a 30-mile hike. So it's That's a, right. Now, are there little games like that that people can play? Are there little things that people can do during exercise? Kind of like, you know, not – not like playing Sudoku, but kind of like playing Sudoku. You know, how can people use various games or various little drills or an exercise to kind of boost up their brain response?
1: Yeah, well, there's technological ways of doing that, and there's non-technological ways of doing that. And so there's a company I work with called SmartFit that basically allows you to play these brain games with your body while you're exercising. And that's a great way to get that cognitive and physical benefit at the same time. But for a majority of people at this moment in time, that kind of stuff isn't available. And so ultimately, we're looking at ways, for example, of working on what we call working memory, where you're holding memory in your brain for a short amount of time with the ability to recall it's the same day or within the same time period, say, an hour. And so a really good way to do that that's accessible to people and probably familiar is have some sort of choreography, where Zumba or Tai Chi or Viper flows or animal flows or just any sort of string of movements together um, really allowed individuals to test their working memory. And I see trainers constantly kind of break the need for working memory where the, the, the client will say, hey, what was my exercise? No, maybe you should challenge your, your client to remember the nuances and remember the sequence and remember all the variables that were involved. You'll even see trainers that aren't doing the exercise struggle to remember that as well. And so working memory combined with directed attention is a great way during movement to train those same cognitive processes. And so memorizing some sort of choreography, maybe I'm going to go from a lunge uh, to a bear crawl to some sort of uh, abdominal exercise and go through them in a flow without stopping, especially if they're novel movements that I just learned. I have to remember how to do them and what sequence and what tempo at what rep. That's a lot of working memory as well. And so that's, that's a great way to start incorporating that type of stuff and that's right. That's available at everyone's fingertips right now.
0: All right, to wrap up, Ryan, and I want you to come back and, and refer back to, to the work that you're doing with the company in a minute. But you're doing sure. some work. You're mentioning work on concussions. And, and you don't know this. I played rugby for a number of years. And I had, you know, in my younger days, you know, 20 years ago, if you got your, your bell rung, as long as you weren't bleeding or you didn't have a bone sticking out of your skin, you really didn't come off, you know, you didn't come off the pitch. And there were times where I'd be seeing double you know, half the game, and there were one or two times where I got knocked out cold, and the one where I woke up in the ambulance, it took me about two or three weeks before I started playing again, but I, wow. was, uh, I felt like I was drunk the entire week after getting my, you know, I got a knee to the forehead. Talk a little bit about concussions and what role exercise can play in concussion recovery.
1: Definitely. Um, concussions are definitely a huge issue, um, not just in sports uh, or youth sports or contact sports, but also in the general public. Um, It's definitely something that's not really talked about. It's really common in people who have grown up playing sports or people in motor vehicle accidents uh, and people who have fallen, especially the the active aging uh, population. And so uh, concussions really misunderstood. A lot of people think it's the bruising of the brain from it bouncing around this coup-contra-coup mechanism. But lately we found through the Berlin consensus, which meets every four years, to kind of do an analysis of all the latest research on concussion, what we found is that it's actually a stretching and shearing of the neuron tissue. So it's almost like this this tissue damage in the neurons, and they stretch and shear and have this inflammatory response. There's an influx of calcium to these cells and all these basically neurochemical cascades that cause a lack of oxygenation or cell death, apoptosis, that term that I mentioned earlier. And so ultimately what people need to do is, Uh, safely scale up their exposure to exercise because exercise brings oxygen, blood flow, and neurogenesis to the brain. There couldn't be anything better. But there's a thing called a buffalo treadmill test, which is basically executed by a clinician that's been trained in concussion management that can help you find out your heart rate zone and your intensity that's safe for you if you've already had an acute concussion. Now, for you, Pete, you've had a concussion, and you might be experiencing post-concussive syndrome later in life which could be verbal fluency issues, working memory issues, attention issues, visual memory issues, visual processing issues, and there's a gambit of things that can uh, be included in post-concussive syndrome that most people struggle with for much of their life and don't get addressed. Now clearly you're exercising, so exercise is one of the main things that you should be doing. Another one is vestibular training, training the vestibular system, and then another one that a lot of people miss is training the visual system which is using the eyes and using the eyes in different skills like visual tracking, what we call saccades, or moving them left to right or up and down. Uh, You'll see the Institute of Motion do this with eye decoupling, and we have a lot more drills for this stuff coming out for visual health. Um, But looking at near to far distances, those are the things that really help the brain because there's so much of the brain that's activated when the visual system is active. Uh, And the visual system stimulates so many parts of the brain, many more parts of the brain, not just responsible for visual processing, so that's critical. And another piece is uh, psychological intervention. So cognitive behavioral therapy or some sort of psychological intervention for those struggling with the effects of concussion, specifically if it relates to some sort of identity issue or anxiety and depression as an onset of of the concussion itself, um, and also just helping people to Maybe deal with things like insomnia, in which cognitive behavioral therapy is shown to be effective, and people who have insomnia issues post-concussion can benefit from that. And then also cervical manual therapy or some sort of soft tissue therapy on the cervical spine that people can basically get from a soft tissue therapist, certain chiropractors or physical therapists. And a lot of people have referred headaches or migraines after a concussion as well as neck stiffness. And those things do not come from the brain because the brain doesn't have nociception. It doesn't have pain receptors. So it's basically a referred pain pattern that comes from tight muscles in the neck that can be released through different types of manual therapy. So those are the four things, vestibular, ocular, motor training, exercise, psychology, and cervical manual therapy that can help with post-concussive syndrome and recovery from concussion. But coming back to that exercise, specifically exercise that integrates cognitive stimulus, is really crucial for coming back from concussion.
0: Well, it's it's interesting you say that, and and I know we're going to wrap it up here in a minute, because I think, to the NFL players, you know, retired NFL players that have had issues with depression and drug use, and and you can tell the difference between, you know, the guys that are on TV and engaged, and they're still very active versus ones who maybe don't do much in retirement. I think there's a huge thing. You know, and for my example, Ryan, you know, I have, you know, have dealt with the depression issues over the years and it's you know the times when things have gotten in my way and I haven't been able to work out regularly when that kind of flares up and that's another reason why I, also, I don't drink alcohol because if I drink alcohol man you talk about you know depression kicking off man that that totally will will send that monkey you know screaming around and, and so I really it's been in this use visual training I read a book years ago on visual training and have you know incorporated that into some of my you know exercises you know, in terms of depth, if I'm doing an active, if I'm recovering between sets, I'll look at, like, try to shift between different the depth of different vi- things in my vision field. And that really ties in because when I'm mountain biking, especially here in Southern California, I need to be able to see rattlesnakes. I've actually almost rolled over rattlesnakes before. And oh, so wow. that's one that, that's one of the most challenging visual things I do. You know, is that a stick, is that a root, or is that a snake? And that's a really, I mean, you talk about walking around the savannah, that's a very critical skill to have. because it's very important. But just from my experience, it's been so important for me to stay active and and to learn. You know, learning has been a huge component of that. I mean, I'm I'm constantly trying to learn new things and, and, you know, challenge my brain in different ways. So I say that for people out there that maybe, you're right, they could have been in a car accident. They could have fallen down. They could have hit their head. Even years ago, you know, the brain is a muscle. And if you injure a muscle at some point, it's going to have a lasting, there's going to be a lasting effect there. So wrapping this up, what are some ways, what are some steps that people can take to, you know, start working? You've mentioned a lot, but let's leave this, wrap it up with a few simple messages. What are a couple of things that people can start doing today after listening to this that might be able to impact, have a positive impact on their brain health?
1: Absolutely. So to wrap up, there's, there's several things that people can do. The first one's novelty. Integrate some sort of novel or new stimulus, whether it's through life experience, motor learning, or exercise that allows you to adapt to something new. That's, that's one of the most critical things. The next one would be complexity. Have it something be complex where, you know, writing a new word on a paper is a complex, fine motor skill, but we're talking about complex, gross motor skills, movements that are complex in nature that require time to learn, that require smooth execution, that require you to memorize something that is uh, new to your brain. So it goes hand-in-hand hand with novelty. And basically what you're looking to do – is integrate novelty and complexity together in an exercise context. You want to be sweating and moving, and you don't want to be moving at such a high intensity you can't focus, but you want to be engaged in some sort of task. And there's plenty of resources you can attach to the show notes, both my blog, a recent article that was done for ACE about task-oriented exercise that I was a part of, that people can get more examples of. But ultimately, if you're integrating novelty, complexity, and task-oriented exercise, something that... Really requires your directed to focus externally, but also integrate things that require your focus internally. Those more mindful movement practices. That's a great way to start impacting your brain health through exercise.
0: Dude, that's awesome! And what's the, the company you're working with? And also, do me a favor, share your Instagram tag because you put some really creative stuff up on Instagram, Ryan. I really, I enjoy, I enjoy seeing it. Appreciate it. Yeah.
1: So the company I'm working with is called SmartFit. And SmartFit creates different technologies for training the brain and body at the same time through fitness, exercise, rehabilitation, and sports training. Uh, my personal company is Somatic, S-O-M-A-P-I-Q, uh, so IQ at the end instead of I-C. Um, and you can go to somatic.co, C-O, or ryanglatt.com. Um, and then my my Instagram tab, it, tab is at glatt, G-L-A-T-T, dot somatic s-o-m-a-t-i-q and i'm sharing stuff up there all the time um my blog on my website has tons of free information for learning more about brain health both blogs and uh uh, videos that people can check into if you're a health professional we have some really cool stuff coming out both in brain health combining exercise with cognitive stimulus as well as uh kind of getting educated as a health professional to work with people with concussion using exercise and other lifestyle modifications as interventions. And so we're really looking to create the ecosystem of brain health uh, while I'm working with these other partners, both in education technology, because it's certainly needed. Uh, I mean, Pete, the the cost of dementia alone is going to be $2 trillion annually um, by 2030. It's going to be ridiculous. So I think it's it's really um, growing fast, the amount of cognitive issues, whether it's dementia or concussion. And ultimately, it's going to be on the the shoulders of the health and fitness professional, the health and fitness industry to join hands with scientists, researchers, and education and technology to really solve for this
0: issue that's a problem. Ryan, I really, man, you're rocking it, dude, and I could talk to you for hours, so we're definitely, I'll definitely schedule another conversation. I mean, in in the time we've known each other, I know we haven't stayed in close contact, but I really, you are one of the guys who really, I think, you know, we're gonna be seeing a lot from in the coming years. So I want to thank you for your time. And uh, dude, you're doing awesome work. Keep it up, buddy. Thanks, Pete. Really grateful for you. First, before I go into the wrap-up for this conversation, if you're interested in ordering hyperware products, a sandbell or a vest, I just let you know they have a strong relationship with CrossFit. They provided uh, sandbells and they provided Vest for me in the CrossFit compet for many of the CrossFit competitions. But you can use code AAF. That's all about fitness. AAF 10 if you want to get a 10% discount on your next purchase of hyperware sandbells or any hyperware products. Check them out. I'm a huge fan of them and you'll, you'll be hearing more about them as we go forward in the show. I do want to apologize for recording quality. You know, when I was able to schedule Ryan, he had a call from his cell phone. So I was actually using a recording app on my cell phone. You know, as I've said before, folks, I know much more about how the human body functions, and how to optimize your performance than I do about technical uh, technical things like you know getting the optimal audio recording. But one of the things I'm doing as I go along with this podcast is I'm trying to learn more about audio technology so I can eliminate stuff like the feedback and the little buzzing and popping that we heard today. But hopefully that didn't detract and you are able to pick up a lot of great information about how we can use exercise to improve our overall cognitive health and brain function. Now to the wrap up for my conversation with Ryan Glatt it was funny number one I'm on, I'm incredibly honored when somebody when I speak with a guest and they indicate they've been listening to the show and, and we were having this conversation I had done some prep work for this and this has been a theme that a lot of us in the fitness education community have been talking about for a few years and that's and that's the role that that fitness exercise plays in, in brain health and cognitive function but in this conversation, you know, Ryan mentioned a couple things, as you heard, about the role that hunting might play and just overall brain health. And think about that. You know, years ago, we didn't just, you know, swipe something on our phone or pick up a phone, you know, pick up the phone and call. And think about that. We've gone from dialing, picking up the phone and dialing seven digits and ordering food to now we just push a few buttons and we can order food. You know, a few hundred years ago, we had to walk. We had to go out and we had to... Get our own food, whether we grew it, you know, grew it in our pasture, whether we grew it in the garden. It took calories. It took a lot of calories to get the calories we need to survive. You know, humans, we're a very self-sustaining organism. We can create our own food. We can, you know, make our own materials. There's a lot of stuff we can do. And obviously through economics, you know, if I specialize in this, you specialize that. We trade anyway, we're not getting into that discussion. But when you think about it, we used to have to go out and procure our own food, and there's a lot of there's a lot of brain power involved in that. You know, if you wanted to track an animal, you know whether it's a buffalo, an elk, a deer, you need to have certain skills. You need to have certain learning processes. You know, some hunts you wouldn't be successful; other hunts you would. You'd realize what worked and what didn't work. And so being involved, you know, same with gardening. If you grew vegetables, if you're a vegetarian, if you, if you don't like hearing discussion about hunt. And and trust me, this is not going to become a hunting podcast. I just, I'm very, it's very interesting to hear, you know, Dan State and talk about bow hunting. And then Ryan talks about the benefit of, you know, of that type of activity on brain health. It, it's just, you know, it's interesting synchronicity there. But if you're a gardener, if vegetables are your form, you have to, it's going to take a lot of brain power to figure out what growing, what, what growing methods can produce the highest yield of your crop. You can't just throw a bunch of seeds in the ground and boom, poof, overnight. You get the vegetables you need. There are certain processes. So growing our own food, procuring our own food, harvesting our own nutrition revolved a certain, involved a certain amount of brain power. There's also a certain amount of physical fitness. If you haven't done any yard work or gardening in a while, trust me, it's a great core hip and back workout. It's a great way to get some exercise outside to be in a different environment, to do some yard work. If you haven't gone hunting, I've never gone hunting, so I don't know. You know, go, going hunting, hiking 5, 6, 10 miles, humping all your gear. It's a tremendous workout. So there's a very relevant you know conversation to be had about the fitness benefits of that. But hopefully you got a little bit of insight today from Ryan about the role that exercise plays in brain health. And obviously since, since the, my target audience with this podcast – for those of us fitness freaks over the age of thirty five, you know, I'm coming up on forty six right now. Yeah, I'm gonna be having Ryan back a few times. He as you can tell, I enjoy talking to this young man. he's been, he's very energetic, very engaged. He's always come up with new things. He's such a really he's gonna be somebody that that I really think we're going to see a lot more of in the coming years. So I'm really stoked to have him on. Uh, hopefully, you know you're learning from him the first time, but I guarantee you that we'll be seeing and hearing a lot for more from Mr. Glatt in the coming years. But think about what you can do in your workouts. Yes, we want strong muscles. Yes, we want to be fit. Yes, we want to burn fat. As you know, I'm tired of all that. But think about what we could be doing in our own workouts to train our brain, improve cognitive function. Is that using a different piece of equipment? Is that taking a different class? Learning to use your body in a different way. If you've seen people doing yoga and kind of scoffed at it, trust me, yoga is not easy. And learning how to move your body in those positions and holding those positions can be very challenging. Learning a martial art or learning a practice like Tai Chi, where you have to have conscious movement, is going to provide benefits, you know, for cognitive function that may supersede any any other type of exercise benefits. You know, as we get older, folks, you know, we have to look at ways. We can do things. You can play puzzles if you're on the airplane. You can play Sudoku. You can do crosswords. You can do a lot of reading. You can do listening. You can listen to podcasts learn new things. Play with different types of exercise. You know, get out and do different things. All these aren't just for you know, health is a multifaceted approach. Health isn't just about size or isn't just about exercise. It's a little bit about everything. Health also involves community. If you always exercise by yourself, try group fitness for a little while. Get to know Other people in the gym who might be in the gym at the same time as you, you know, enhance your real life social network. All these things add up, folks. It's not just, you know, this or that or one piece of information, one piece or another. One thing that Ryan, you know, said that really rings true is we are just a multifaceted organism. You know, we can't just isolate our cardio, you know, our cardiovascular system with aerobic exercise. We can't because when you do an aerobic exercise, you're also using your muscles Using your lymphatic system of fluid exchange, using your uh, neuroendocrine system of the hormones your body produces, you know. So we have to look at how can we use exercise to not only enhance our you know physical health but also our mental, our cognitive health. That's very important. There's been a lot of stuff in the news lately. You know, I try not to to put dates on when when this podcast is recorded, but within the last you know recently we lost both Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, two high profile individuals to suicide. You know, June is National Mental Health Month. You know, it's not going to say that exercise can prevent suicide, but exercise is a known, has a known positive impact on brain health that can help reduce depression. It really can. You know, I've dealt with that myself over the years, and it's funny. Anytime I've drifted away from exercise, I can find that my mental health gets worse almost, you know, noticeably immediately. Heck, one of the reasons why I exercise is to keep things in check on a biochemistry level. It really is that important. And that, you probably don't think about it, or maybe you've heard about it here or there, but really, you know, I recommend that you, you check out Ryan's website. I'm mean, going to have his contact information below. Just as Instagram alone really provides some cool, unique insights. Some of it may seem a little silly. Some of it may seem a little far-fetched. But trust me, there are a lot of people looking to this. There are health club companies out there. There are equipment companies out there looking at this. There are apps out there. So you, maybe you're hearing it here for the first time. That's that'd be cool. If, if that's the case, awesome. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, we all know this, Pete. You know, no big deal. But the reality is, you're going to be seeing a lot more, especially if you're over the age of 40 or over the age of 50. You'll be paying. You'll be seeing in, in, in your the, the the media that you touch, that you read, that you consume. You'll be seeing a lot more about the benefits of exercise on brain health. So do do me a favor check down below, check out Ryan's information, check out what Ryan is up to, and follow him and stay, you know, connect with him if possible because I guarantee you it can help improve your overall quality of life. If you enjoy all about fitness, if you enjoy listening to us, please do me a favor, give me a rating, give me a like, give me a review, and share it with your friends, share this with people that you, you stay in touch with because this episode especially is a very important episode. And I want to help amplify the role of exercise and that it plays in our overall cognitive health and overall mental health. You can always reach me, Pete, at Pete That's Pete at Pete You can follow me on Twitter, PeteMC underscore fitness. That's PeteMC underscore fitness. And my Instagram tag is Pete underscore fitness. That's Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. I'm working on coming out with a new line of product reviews. I'll be doing both on the podcast as quick fit tips, and I'll be posting them on my All About Fitness podcast YouTube channel. So stay, you know, stay tuned for that. And folks, I really appreciate your stopping by. I really appreciate the positive feedback I've been receiving on All About Fitness. So thank you for your time. Thanks for, for it. And just all I ask is that you do me a favor and share this with as many people as you think you can benefit. I'm trying to create this, trying to put this out there so we all learn how to use exercise to improve our overall quality of life. Thanks for stopping by and have a great day.